0: Hello again, and welcome to wrestling Memories Then and Now on Pioneer 90.1 FM, KSRQ. We are also available beyond the FM dial. You can listen to us live at radionorthland.org, wherever you are and wherever you can pick up decent cell phone reception, you can pick us up via the TuneIn app. Now, if you want to listen to past episodes of Wrestling Memories, you can also go back to radionorthland.org just to You know, in case we missed it, you know, life happens sometimes. And uh, our time slot at noon sometimes interferes with uh, football and whatever activities you may be having. But anyway, you can check it out, radionorthland.org. Wrestling memories then and now, I'm your host, Glenn Broggett, along with my partner in crime way down there deep in the heart of Texas with some bearable temperatures here as the uh, seasons have changed. Even down in Texas, the seasons change. Uh, Mr. Michael McCurdy, the grizzled veteran himself, uh, how are you doing, my friend? Uh, you were on assignment last weekend. You always trying to book the best and brightest onto the program, but a little less on the heat end down there in t- uh, Texas, eh?
1: Yes, fall is now settling in in the uh, the great state of Texas, so we're not having the hundred, the nineties, and the hundreds, or more like the seventies and the eighties. And down here, you'll take the 80s, you you'll you'll take the twenty degree uh, temperature change. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah yeah we're up uh, right here at the time of our recording uh at about thirty eight degrees so yeah we're we're feeling the fall and feeling kind of like the middle end of fall rather rather early and uh yeah you know that does it just makes me want to sit inside and you know find a good book a little bit earlier than expected so yeah, seasons are changing. And you know what, Mike? It's good to have you back on the program this week. Uh, last week we had uh, Mike Moran, of course. Of uh, He was uh, Mike Richards in the AWA. He was also part of the Texas Hangman. His partner, uh, original partner went on to become Bull Payne. Uh, he also uh, was in disorderly conduct. He was all he's been around the world a few times. You know, he's been a few places. You know, Puerto Rico, uh, Central States, AWA, WCW, and, uh, and USWA. We're going to have a chance to uh, talk with him in the coming weeks. But Mike, that's beside the point. You have booked a nice top flight returning guest to the program, uh, a person whose uh, work we we definitely appreciate here, uh, not only on this podcast, but I know there's some listeners out there who have enjoyed his books, whether they be the record books or biographies. This guy does some really good stuff. So, Mike, I'm going to let you do the intro, my friend.
1: All right. Well, I appreciate him, Dan. But but first off, I'd like to throw this out there for our listeners who, you know, like you said, football season's coming in, you know, so you need to find other options to uh, listen to wrestling memories then and now. We now are going to be available on YouTube. I have now finally gotten, I, my technical self has finally figured out how to do this. So we are now going to be available on YouTube about midweek after each episode airs, you will be able to go onto YouTube. So, you know, another option to be able to find wrestling memories in and out. Just wanted to throw that out there for the people.
0: Fantastic. Mike.
1: But like you said, man, yes, we do have a great guest. Um, Someone I look up to. uh, I consider this man kind of a mentor. i go to him when I have some questions, I go to him for advice. And like you said, Great books. You talk historians. You talk, this man's name is going to be at the top of the list. You know, just some of the great stuff. I own a lot of his books, Glenn. I'm sure you do. Oh, and for I'm sure. looking forward to talking to him uh, today on Wrestling Memories because, you know, he has a new book out. He was also at All In and at StarCast. So I'm looking forward to hearing a little bit more stories about that from someone who was right down there in the trenches at in what I consider probably one of the best events to happen in professional wrestling in many years because it kind of set a new standard. So. We're going to sit down right now, and I'm going to introduce our guest, none other than historian and author, Mr. Mark James. Mark, welcome to Wrestling Memories.
2: I'm glad to be back on, guys.
1: So, Mark, I'm just going to go with this now. Um, you're on here. You just released a new book, uh, I believe, yes. the Jerry Lawler Record Book. And we know Jerry Lawler has had a storied career. So, to start off, why don't you tell us a little bit about your newest release and just what kind of things the fans are going to be able to find in this, uh, in this new book?
2: Sure, uh, it, it covers 1970 through 1996, uh, it's got all the known matches and results that he was in for the, you know, 27-year period from the beginning of his career all the way up to 96, and, um, there's over 4,000 matches listed, uh, the books, uh, I want to see around 275 pages, eight by 10, um, tons of photos, over 200 photos in the book, uh, a lot of them classic matches, um, uh. Tons of Jimmy Cornett photos are in there, and uh, it's just it, it's it, for a guy being me that grew up on Memphis wrestling. It's really cool to be able to do a book on Lawler finally. Um, the it covers his entire career, by the way, uh, not just Memphis. It covers when he was in Florida or Georgia or Japan or all the WWF stuff he did in the early nineties as well. So it's it, it encompasses everywhere.
1: Now. What what is the process with a book like this? Because I mean, I know as a you know historian, there's a lot of research that goes into some like this. But you're talking four thousand matches over a twenty-something year span. You know what what's the process that goes into the uh, the creation of a book like this? Uh,
2: it's it's sort of a group effort. Uh, there's some people who what they do is just collect matches. They collect match records and stuff. And talked to a couple friends of mine who do that. Um, then with Everything I'd already done for the Memphis and Tennessee region, I was able to cull that out of my own results. Uh, Memphis, Tennessee, Arkansas, Mississippi, Kentucky, Alabama, some of the ones I had on my own. And uh, you just, you, you, it just takes months and months and months of research. You know, back in the old days, all we were able to do was go through the, uh, the, the library archives and newspapers. Now we have a lot of those online. It still takes a ton of time to go through each page, each result, doing the searches, finding them. And, uh, it, it's, uh, this isn't easy. This isn't quick. It doesn't matter how much online it is. It's never easy and quick. So it's just, you got to be willing. And you realize this with what with your research and everything like it, it you just, you, you just got to put the time in. There's no other way around it.
1: A labor of love per se, because it's something you do because you love the business. It's not something you do because you're looking for you know the big money, because unfortunately no. there's not a lot of money involved in, in the work we do, but it's appreciated by a lot of the fans and all that but you know money wise unfortunately there's just not a lot involved which is kind of sad really because i mean it's such a wealth of knowledge i mean 20 something years of jerry lawler's career as well as all the other books you've done
2: yeah it uh it, it's definitely not about the money uh it would be nice if it happened but you know it, it's documenting the old days making sure the memories and the stories aren't lost that's the uh you know the main reason behind it and it's you know when we were talking about it, you know, in our discussions, whatever it's like, you know, if it's if the book's inside you and it has to be out regardless of what it takes to get it out, you even if you sell a single copy and it's something you're wanting to do, you do it. So that that's kinda how it is with these books.
1: Exactly. Now has uh has has Lawler seen had a chance to look at this book?
2: Oh yeah, he loves it. I he, I always if he's in any of my books before they come out, he always gets a copy. And uh he yeah, he loves it. Uh, he's already uh, even on his podcast. He started doing this thing with Glenn Morris, co-host, where he'll ask or someone on the show will give him a date, and they'll look up the date and see what the card was, what the match was, and he'll do, he's already doing that on each week of his podcast. So, uh, no, he's very very pleased with the book.
1: Was there anything in the book that maybe he didn't remember or didn't see? I mean, does that happen on occasion? You get something that yeah. they, they've forgotten about it's twenty years.
2: Yeah, yeah, it, uh, it it happens all the time because you got to remember in the seventies, eighties, this was just a job to these guys. It's like you go to your job every day. Let me ask you about something that was your job twenty five years ago. You're not going to remember. You know, we look at it as these guys are, you know, superheroes and superstars and all this, and they didn't look at it that way back in the day, so they didn't remember a lot. And Jerry has notoriously had a bad memory, um, and that's one of the funny things I wrote about in the book. It's at the beginning in my introduction. It was like, you know. I can't tell you how many times I'll get texts or phone calls from Jerry and says, man, when did I wrestle so-and-so? It happens all the time. And uh, we, we joke about it. And uh, But yet Jerry just doesn't remember a lot of it. So I tell him, all right, it was on this date. It was in Memphis or it was Louisville or wherever. So, okay, thanks, because someone in the interview were asked, was asking him about it. So uh, it, it happens more often than you realize. Now what
1: got you interested You know, um, in doing work like this?
2: Uh, I guess it was the early 2000s. There was a lot of... At the time, there was more websites available. There wasn't many books out at the time on wrestling. You had a bunch of autobiographies, but that was about the limit of it. There wasn't record books per se. There wasn't territory books out at the time. You had some websites like Mid-Atlantic Gateway. You had one for Florida at the time and some other really, really good territorial uh, system websites with results and information. And at the time, Memphis just didn't really have anything out there. There was no books. I mean, you had Jerry Lawler's WWE-produced biography. As far as Memphis, there just wasn't a lot on the web or on uh, in book form. So I just, <clears throat> my main concern was documenting it so it wasn't forgotten about.
1: Now, one thing I'd like to ask about, because obviously this is going to be in that book, and um, one of the more famous angles for someone outside of Memphis that anybody's going to remember is going to be, when Andy Kaufman went into uh, Memphis and you were just recently at Starcast where they had a panel about, you know, remembering Andy Kaufman, Lawler and Mantell were, 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 part of this. And Bill after, yes. Has there ever been any like interest in something that would be, that would cover his brief time in Memphis? Cause
2: I know we've talked about this before. The, uh, of a buddy of mine, a, a comic book artist named Box Brown, actually this past year, this past February, March-ish, released a graphic novel on just that. It's basically Landy's full-time in Memphis. Uh, Box is a guy that did the Andre the Giant biography a couple of years ago uh, in graphic art form, and it was amazing. It's one of the best graphic artist books I've ever seen. Uh, you know, It's not just a comic book. It's a, it's a novel-sized book, and his stuff's excellent. Uh, you know, you could do it. I, I, I just don't know about the length of a book because people say, well, do a book on this, do a book on that. You know, well, yeah, you can get, you might get a hundred pages out of that if you're lucky. But then going beyond that, it 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 just, it's, you're almost making up content or struggling to find connections to put extra words in a book. Uh, you know, and Andy's time was great in Memphis. It was amazing. It was revolutionary. It had not been done. And, uh, you know, it changed the sport. And it really put Memphis on the map. Um, you know, just, you know, y- you could put it in a book and have it as part of a book, a good section of a book.
1: Now, regarding the the, the this recent book, which I'm sure people can find on Amazon.com, as well as you have your own website, so if people want to go and order that, so we'll give them that information. Um, I need to get a copy of it. I have a lot of your books. A few of the ones you've done with Jim Cornette, which I do believe you've got something else coming up with Jim Cornette, don't you?
2: uh he's got so many things going on. I'm not sure. We've got a couple different things. You know, we got some SMW books that we will he wants to do the history of those. We're going to continue the Louisville books. Um there's always, you know, with Jimmy, he's always got irons in the fire kind of like I do. So it's just a matter of him and me getting together and uh, finally getting the books done.
1: Okay, now in regards to the Lawler book, um yeah. were there during your research, were there some opponents that came up or matches that came up that you were surprised about you didn't know about that, you know, because I mean, obviously, over twenty years, Lawler's wrestled pretty much anybody who's anybody in the sport of wrestling.
2: Sure, yeah, there was uh, his first match against Andre. I was I had never heard about it. it actually. I believe happened down in Alabama. It's in the book, and uh, it was early seventy three seventy four, which I was I'd, I'd had never heard of it happening. I always thought that the, uh, the earliest one was in seventy uh, six or seventy seven for Jarrett, and it really wasn't. And I was it's like, wow, I didn't realize that. Uh, you know, there's some other guys, uh, I'd never realized he had won uh, went against Wahoo McDaniel. Uh, he, when he was AWA champ back in 88, he had had some matches with Wahoo across the country touring with the AWA. Um, you know, there's just, uh, it's such a varied career that, you know, it's like he was wrestled so many places and was always wrestling. Uh, you just, it, it's just hard to, you know. I don't even know how to describe it, It's just like because he faced so many people. It's almost like you're, you're surprised the people he didn't ever wrestle against. You know what I mean? It's like, what about this guy? Oh, he didn't. And uh, it, it's just a learning deal. You, you're never surprised, and you're never not surprised, I guess is the best way to say it. Right. right.
1: And he's still wrestling now. I mean, people don't realize that, but he's still out there on a weekly basis. Uh, on his podcast, he talked about a match he had recently with uh, Joey Ryan. I don't think he was a fan of the yeah. match, but... Um, he's still going now, and he's going up against a lot of the guys that the young up-and-comers. It's not like he's doing a legends match with, you know, Bill Dundee or some of the other guys from the old territory days. He's wrestling these young guys, and still yeah. going.
2: Yeah, he actually. So, I mean, the, career. <clears throat> yeah, he uh, he wrestled last night. They had a big thing on Bill Street. He has a Hall of Fame bar on Bill Street, and outs. They they every once in a couple months I'll do wrestling matches actually on Bill Street. The, because they always at night they shut the street down and it's closed off and they actually put a ring on Bill Street. Last night had a uh, wrestling event down there and he fought last night. Uh, it's just it's it's what he does. He still gets in the ring. Like you said, it's not just against the legends and the you know quick legends match. It's it's legit deals. Uh, you know about this time a year ago I believe it was he fought Cody Rhodes. Uh, for the, I guess at the time Cody was the ROH champion. He fought Cody for the ROH title. I mean, he's he's still totally going around to the Independence and, and wrestles just about on a weekly basis every week, and he's either at a wrestling event or a Comic Con. And that's pretty much 52 weeks a year.
1: Which is amazing to think about it because, I mean, you know, he could easily just decide, you know, that it's time for retirement, but, you know, he's not doing yep. this. Well, I guess I hope he's not doing this for the money. He's doing it because he loves the business, which is the great thing about, uh, Jerry, I got the chance to meet him at a uh, CAC a few years back, mm-hmm. and you know there was a line of fans, but he was more than happy to talk to each individual person and sign that picture that they wanted. I got one signed, personally autographed, with a notation about Andy Kaufman on it. Cause that's what I asked for. You know, I mean, he's Jerry's an interesting guy. I mean, I enjoyed my time talking with him. So,
2: yeah, yeah, he is. He's very interesting. I mean, he's an amazing artist. That's why he does the comic cons. Uh, you know, he does big and small. I mean, he was at San Diego Comic-Con this year, you know, drawing art the whole time, you know, and it's just, it's... I I think he enjoys being active and being out in it, and I I, You know, he's just one of those guys who just... Which we see a lot of the wrestlers who are just driven, driven, driven. They just go. They have one speed on, and that's kind of how Jerry is. He's just... He's on, and he goes, and he does.
1: All right, well, I'm going to hand the mic over to Glenn. I'm sure he's got a a few questions for you and all that. I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit all in, a little bit of starcast. So, Glenn, after At- years, my friend.
0: Well, thank you very much, uh, Mike. And of course, uh, always, always good to have uh, Mark on the program. And uh, you know, it, it's uh, I got a few things to talk about here. I, I, we, we, you touched on, or Mike touched on it a little bit with you. Uh, you, you had a chance to take part in the. Uh, the star cast as part of the the all in weekend, and you know, I, I I was paying attention a little bit. I didn't pay much attention to the to the star cast. Just I had other things going on, but I ended up tra- checking out the uh, the event itself that was held in Greater Chicagoland area, just out on the outskirts there. Uh, a wonderful, wonderful uh, setup. Just I, I never seen. You know, a lot of people uh, w- were ready to put down the notion of, of guys getting together, non WWE guys, not you know, getting together and putting this and making this happen and selling the tickets the way they did. Uh, and they proved a lot of people wrong. We turned a lot of heads. I want to talk about what your experiences were like uh, at at the uh, Starcast out over there in the Greater Chicagoland area at the beginning of well. Of this, of this month here that's about to turn to October.
2: Yeah, yeah, about four weeks ago, I guess we were there. I guess four weeks ago. Anyways, yeah, we, uh, you know, <clears throat> the event itself was just so well handled, uh, considering, that you know, the people involved had not done anything like this before. Uh, you know, having a wrestling event for 10,000 people, then flipping that over and then having a wrestling convention with 10,000 people. Uh, you couldn't buy a ticket there was no walk up tickets for sale because they had sold they had pre sold out every ticket and the fire marshal said no additional people, no ticket sales. So literally if you didn't pre buy your ticket to get in the door, you didn't come. And so they knew this beforehand and uh it worked well that way. Even and everything in the event went well, uh the, the Starcast part. Um, you know, if you wanted to get a Kevin Nash photo op and signature or whatever you pre bought that you pre bought it. They did pre sell for everything with the things that were within Starcast. Um obviously if you come to a different vendor like me who I had my books there, I had a book table and posters and all types of things. You bought them there, but like if you were there to see one of the I believe they had about hundred and sixty different wrestlers there through Starcast. So if this something to them, you pre bought it. So it's like there was you know when you got ten thousand people, one of the keys is speed, keeping things going, keeping the lines moving. And the pre-sale was just an ingenious idea, and it worked just extremely well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kept log jams from happening everywhere. So. But uh, as being a part of it, it was wonderful. It was amazing. Uh, so many fans got to talk to just hundreds and hundreds of fans. Good, good discussions. Uh, we were all just, you know, I describe us as wrestling nerds. It, it was, you know, and that's all that was there was just wrestling nerds, guys who love wrestling, real wrestling. New new kids, old kids, old guys, it was everybody in the gambit. And everybody had a smile on their face. My I uh first day or two I was like, Are hey, you having fun? Everybody's yeah, and that became the joke. And I would tell them this, I said, I'm gonna ask you, you having fun? Oh yeah, man, it's amazing. Everybody had fun. I mean it was just it was uh it was tons of energy, tons of fun. Yeah, you, know, you never knew who was going to walk by. I would sit at the table one day, and this side door opened up, and Pat Patterson walked by, out of the blue. He says, "Okay, <laughs> he wasn't even supposed to be there, and he's there." So you you never knew who was going to walk by. There was always excitement going on. Uh, fans were just having a blast, and uh, it, the big thing, like you mentioned, is there was no WWE anchor with this. This was, you know, independent wrestling completely 100 percent and it just uh I, I think it's a turning point in pro wrestling again you know that i believe after it said this hadn't happened something like this in 25 years or so 20 25 years and i believe it like okay. i said i was there i really think in the next year or two i've heard it described this way and i agree with it that uh, it's going to be like woodstock sort of there was only so many people at woodstock but within a year but everybody in the world said they were there I think that's kind of how it's going to be with the Starcade, I'm um, Starcast and uh, All In event,
0: mm-hmm. and, and, and you know just amazing uh, for for the numbers it did. And uh, you, you, what kind of venue do you see this uh, moving into? I mean, ROH recently uh, secured Madison Square Garden, which was a WWE stronghold for so many years that went back generations of McMahon's. Oh, uh, where where would you see? Uh, where where do you logically see like uh, an All In two? Or you see some sort of similarities that will incorporate both uh, this all-in and with the big show that ROH is going to put on with what New Japan and a few other people as well, kind of uh, you know loosely connected but not completely uh, attached at the hip.
2: Right. The way I see it is, the days of the territory system are over. The way people look at wrestling now, and because and you know WWE's proof of that, people travel from all over the country to go see WWE for the big events. Well, if these guys are only going to put on big events, fans are going to come. I just can't see them not having more big events, you know, uh, on the either coast, south on the coast, just big areas around the country, big cities, and having you know, a couple events a year maybe. I, I the reason I, I have no knowledge of it, I don't know Cody and those the the kids or anything like that, but I just it's leaving money on the table to do, to not do that.
0: Oh, absolutely! Uh, and
2: I and as popular as it is, they, and they struck such a just a vein of gold with this. It, it's like every, th- there's no downside, and for that reason, I believe they will. Uh, they have to, you know, whether it be one big show, one one big uh, all in a year, two, three, four. I don't know. I, I just see it being more and more, and then you know, getting all the independent guys, the ROHS. Uh, The NWA stuff, all these guys who are non WWE together and, you know, putting on shows.
0: Yeah, and I see this also, Mark, as a a sort of a re-education of a newer generation of fans uh, to the NWA name. I know there's been so many starts, stops, starts, starts, stops, whatever you want to talk about it, since, uh, you know, basically they dropped association with with what became WCW. I mean, there's been various movements in the past, but I think this could be, uh, along with this Billy Corgan, uh, you know, thing with him making the purchase of the NWA name, the lineage here, uh, I think there could be, if they do this wisely, and he's He's been doing this uh, in little spurts with the NWA World Championship uh, with with, with Tim Uh Storm and Nick Aldis and now with Cody. I think that this is a nice way to step into it because if you go like sorry to borrow the term all in I don't know if if, if it would have worked out that way uh, in regards to the NWA I mean just to get that brand out there and having it at a, such a big event and at such a big moment uh, in regards to pro wrestling history in regards to the Rhodes uh, lineage with Cody winning the NWA title at this big signature event that he helped to book that, that that really just made everybody's heads turn. They almost, I think, probably gave Vinny Mac a little whiplash. I mean, it's just such a, a wonderful thing, but a good way to reeducate the NWA. That's what the point I was making out with that.
2: Yeah, uh, and I agree with you on it. And, it. and it's it's and it was done so organically to me. Um, it wasn't forced and rammed down people's throats. It's like, look, we think people want to come. We're going to put on a good card. We're going to do our best. We're young guys. We're full of fire. We hope you guys will come. They put on the, you know, they put the tickets out, and you know, was it twenty seven minutes? They sold the ten thousand tickets out. I mean, you know, they that's as grassroots as you get, and uh, I I just see it getting bigger and better. And long as they, you know they keep it like that, I think they will do amazing.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's
2: it's you know, uh, the, and the reason it caught Vince off guard and WWE off guard is because well, nothing has happened in decades. To justify them being noticed, that changed a month ago.
0: Yeah, there was a whole lot of hope and smoke through the years. Uh, it, it went back, way back to Vince's expansion. Uh, and mm-hmm. I talked with uh, Mike Moran last week uh, about it, you know, going back to these people trying to get some consortium, some group together to challenge him. Uh, Mike Richards, uh, well, Mike Moran, he wrestled as Mike Richards on some job matches for Pro Wrestling mm-hmm. USA. And we can remember that, and remember how initially that was with great expectation. But with that case, that was a you know just a, too many promoters, a lot of ego. Nobody wanted to uh, be you know second guessed or topped, and it just just kind of disintegrated. But with yep. this, you know, I think of all these iterations with all the you know even with with Jerry doing some various stuff with Vern, to, you know, in the '80s and other stuff into the '90s with these groups trying to get together. That this this one was just so. So done, just to so well with 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 ego sometimes going to the side. I mean, the show was so well timed. All of these guys getting together on podcast, row the uh, the the wrestlers from the past and present there, and they still have mm-hmm. potential rabbits up their sleeve. I mean. Good Lord, this was, this was a fun thing. This made me even shell out the $40 to watch the pay-per-view, and I have not, aside from my yep. WWE subscription, I have not had interest like that in an indie-type event to where I would be shelling it out. This was something that was so good, and I watched it, and it was probably one of the better pay-per-views I have watched in so long, so it made me feel justified in, in purchasing it.
2: Yeah, and no, I agree with you. It's, it's, it was so well done that it, it's so open-ended now. It can go anywhere and do anything. And it's, they just have to keep the quality up, which they're young guys. They're going to do that. Um, I, I just, you know, it, it, it's you, where do they go from here? You know, I always hear that question over and over and over. I said anywhere they want to go now. It, it's, they're a proven commodity. And I think the fans are going to support that because so many of the fans, now you're going to have the lifelong WWE diehard, you know, go Roman, go. And that's fine for that. But there's so many people who like the old style or older style or non-WWE, non-Vince, that this is going to be an outlet for them to now grab onto and enjoy and have fun and not be told, you know, I think these guys listen to what the fans say more than the WWE does. And I think that will help things, uh, They'll be appreciated more. They'll appreciate the fans. The fans will appreciate them. And uh, they'll still have really good wrestling. Uh, The first all-in is proof of that. It was a great card.
0: And, you know, when you look at it, too, uh, from the wrestler standpoint, when you've got a guy like uh, Cody or Cody Rhodes, we'll we'll say here, uh, you know, being able to branch out, find his own identity and be able to be this guy that so many guys were in the territory days. Again, it's not a return to the territory days, but he's kind of a guy that's in the tradition of the You know, now he with the NWA title uh, with Billy Corgan, uh, he's able to uh, do what they used to do with the traveling champion, but, you know, have a little bit more. Uh, profile to it and especially in this uh social media era and age Mm -hmm. here where you can go on and you know not necessarily every defense has to be a pay-per-view you can have things where where the nwa has uh, done some stuff with with youtube to kind of keep people going to get those hits and and to not make it not always about turning a 29.95 or 40 dollar profit but you know planting seeds for that bigger greater growth yeah
2: absolutely and it's it's the digital age has made the world much much smaller because of that, and th- and in turn that opens things up that people you know are going to be able to go to locally, or if they can't go locally, then they get it online. And if it's hey they're going to do a big deal, then you know whatever, let's go, let's just do a weekend and go. And you know it's it's fun. It's it's a chance for fans to have fun with wrestling again, which has always been what it's about having fun. Mm-hmm. I and uh, I, I think it's it's just it's a great excuse
0: me, it's a great thing. And I want to go back to, uh, just, we'll put the wraps on the, uh, on the all in, uh, about the sure. star cast. Uh, you know, since we've, we've gotten together, you know, you've been on our program here, uh, with, with uh-huh. now with Mike and with George Shire previously, uh, you know, We've seen really uh, this this big boom uh, of of the podcast era uh, age. I mean, not only uh, do you have it in, in in pro wrestling, but pop culture has just um, you know grabbed on. There's been a lot of sink and uh, some that have been able to swim. A lot of people have been making some big serious money in the pro wrestling business, and with podcast is no no stranger to that success. And it's because of that that growth that we've had. I mean, since we've been talking to, you know off and on the last couple of years, it's just been so huge to the point that we they were able to have this, this group, uh, this star cast. And when you think about it too, think about all the former wrestling guys, you know, who were from the kayfabe era that have been, you know, involved and had their own program or have been guests, you know, on these other shows that have paid such close minute attention to whatever era and whatever territory.
2: Oh, definitely. Yeah. It's, it's allowed them to, you know, a lot of the older guys, as you're saying, to come in and be known and Hey, and with, other digital like YouTube and whatnot and WWE Network on a lesser scale. Hey, who was I guy? Let me go look them up. And they, they'll go and look at the old matches and find out more about them. And it just feeds into it, and that helps you know fans appreciate the old days, which has always been the issue. It's been there's been nothing before the WWE Network started in YouTube. There was nothing to go watch old wrestling. Basically, you might watch the old uh, you know the Coliseum video stuff from WWE. They used to put out you know their little collections and stuff, but. It just wasn't, or a pay-per-view DVD or videotape, but it just wasn't readily available. Now, with the podcast, you get to hear the actual stories, you know, about how, you know, what about this suit? Hey, you fought this guy. What was he like? Or, you know, you wrestled Kerry Von Ericks. What was Kerry like in the ring, out of the ring? You know, just guys who are no longer with us talking, you know, you can find out more about, because the guys that were with them behind scenes and everything, it's just another open-ended thing um a buddy of mine he, actually got put starcast times conrad thompson and he's just doing this crazy business on podcasts now he's got a couple several with bischoff shivani and bruce pritchard and he's just getting insane numbers and he's a great guy and he's a younger guy and it's just you know it it and then he goes and puts on starcast and does amazing so it's like you know it's just it's a time right now where there's a lot of electricity in the air for all these new media and these new outlets. And I think it's just really, really a great time.
0: Oh, I have to agree 100%. I mean, it, there's just not enough hours in the day to consume some of the wonderful bo- podcasts people come out have been releasing here in the last uh, two or three years. I I mean, I, I really enjoy listening from time to time, uh, you know, with Jerry's podcast, uh, of course, Corny. I mean, I love the stuff that Brian Last has been able to do with Arcadian Vanguard. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, tons I, I, of guys. I, oh, I mean, it's just like you, you can, you know... Like I said, there's just not enough time in the day. And one of those uh, podcasts that is on uh, Brian's uh, thing, and I I know Brian a little bit. Uh, We've had some... uh you know, Facebook uh, messages and, you know, various mm-hmm. things because, you know, I like, the, I like to talk wrestling and it's it's just he's so easy to, to chat with. Uh, one of the shows that he has, has under his banner is uh, Kentucky Fried Wrestling, the podcast variation yeah. of an old column that uh, Scott Bowden had released. And how that tied into one of your books is, is kind of a fun thing. It's still going on to this day. I mean, he, he's ever the super sleuth trying to find out a mystery that you kind of opened up the can of worms on with the release of a book that it's just, uh, led this thing almost uh, you know, it has to be almost a year now about uh, an appearance that a legendary masked wrestler, a lot of us know and remember Mules Ma- Mil Mascaris and his appearance uh, in the uh, Memphis territory. I mean, you've taken—he has taken that bit, that little bit from a book that you released uh, about the Tennessee Athletic Commission—and has made this and expanded it to so much into this life of its own. Uh, what do you think about all of that? I mean, this is such a great little story and a fun little mystery. That, like you said, he's even went to autograph sessions to ask the man himself about it.
2: Yeah, no, it's 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 what Scott does. I, you know, it's. <clears throat> yes, Cornette, Cornette's answer is no, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, and, and I would put it in, um, uh, I can't remember what book before that I would mentioned it or something there, and we actually, we talked to Jerry about it several times, Jerry Jarrett, <clears throat> he says it was, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I just don't know, you know, the athletic records don't say it is, they had to turn into the state, um, the The I myst- get one and one equals three with it,
0: yeah, yeah, the mystery continues
2: Scott does the other. Jared says it happened, and Mill says it happened,
0: okay, 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 yeah, sure,
2: I still don't believe it happened. I don't think cornet does, but um, I'm not gonna say, you know, hey, it's one of those things we're just not gonna there was a little bit of tape of it. I remember seeing the tape of it, and um it didn't look exactly like Mill to me, the body didn't. it was a little stockier than Bill, I'm a Mill. Yeah, back in Memphis, they would every Monday night, the late news from Channel 5 where wrestling was played, they would usually do a video highlight after the matches. Um, The 10 o'clock news would end. uh, They showed the move where Mill did his flying body press. It didn't look like Mill's flying body press. It looked horrible. And the body was a little stocky. Me and my brother both said, I'm not completely sure that's Mill. And that was January 1979. And I can remember that to this day. So visually, it did not remind me.
0: The optics didn't but, did, didn't match up.
2: No, and that was my barometer on it. Was it just because you got to realize
0: mm-hmm.
2: the only way we knew about wrestling around the other parts of the country was Bill Map Bill After's magazines, the aftermax The Wrestler, Inside Wrestling, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, had just started Sports Review, all those ones they put out. And Bill loved Mill, so Mill was on all these covers and had been for several years. It just didn't look like him.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right, but it's fun That's because... my take on it. Well, you the know... more power to Scott. Well, yeah, he's just ever so pursuing this, and you know, I'm, you know, I've listened to it back and forth, and you know, with that on on Corny's uh, podcast as well, and I tend to lean towards your guys' corner, but the enthusiasm, the way Scott just does his thing, you know, you can find out by listening to a couple of episodes to get the gist of of, mm-hmm. of what Scott's about. It's it's it, it, it's passionate, but it's also a bit humorous, and it, it just keeps uh, it keeps you engaged. But I mean, he does some, uh, so many oh, yeah. so many other things as well that are just wonderful, and I mean, you guys just help. preserve I mean Memphis wrestling and you've done so much with that with your books as well that uh, you know it's just it's amazing that you and I mean you've done a lot of research but you just talked about how a memory how how it just sparked how just just how pro wrestling is I mean just to a lot of us I mean good Lord I couldn't tell you what I had for lunch a couple days ago but I could tell you something that happened when I watched in 1985 that I remember like I was uh, that little kid just sitting down in the basement in the rec room.
2: That's it. it. It burns in our memories. And uh, that's like I said, I want to make sure I document stuff for people who have forgotten about it, people that never knew about it. And just to you know, ensure that it's not forgotten.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm going to bring Mike back into the conversation. Uh, Grizzled veteran Michael McCurdy uh, for this, uh, the final leg of the uh, show. Mike, you've got a few questions lined up. Of course, I know you're chomping at the bit to get back into the conversation on wrestling memories then and now.
1: Well, of course I am. You know, I've been enjoying listening to all this um, kind of funny story, though. You know, we're talking about, you know, documenting these moments and remembering these things. And, you know, this is what we do with historians and with the podcast and everything. Um, just the other day, my, you know, we've talked about this before. Glenn, my son, is big wrestling fan, seven mm-hmm. years old, loves it. He comes up to me the other day. I don't even remember what angle he was talking about or what match he was talking about. But it was WWE. And he said, Daddy, this, this, you know, Undertaker and so-and-so, blah, blah, blah. That was it. Over the age 2002, correct? I'm like, um, sure. My son knew this at the age of seven. That's just kind of showing you what the Internet and the WWE Network and all these other YouTube and all that is doing. A seven-year-old was able to come to his father and say, this, 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 that was an unforgiven over the age, whatever it was, 2002, correct? I had to
2: check because I wasn't sure. But he was right. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's, you know, it's like when we were kids, we can pull up this 1985 stuff, the 1978 stuff, or whatever, just because, you know, kids are sponges, and if it's something they love, they remember. Just like we remember all the old stuff, because we loved it.
1: Exactly, and he's definitely taken after me. But um, one thing I wanted to kind of ask you about, Mark, and this is relating more to StarCast and the podcast and everything. Like we said, a lot of names have come out, you know, Tony Schiavone. Basically, Tony Schiavone made his return to wrestling because of the podcast. And a lot of younger fans may not know who Tony Schiavone is. Um, They may not know who, you know, they may not know, they may know who JJ Dillon is, but don't know much about him and all that. But these are the younger fans from a historian perspective. Do you think the influx of the podcast, I mean, the amount of them, is this a good thing for these up and coming wrestling fans, the newer wrestling fans, or is there just, you know, maybe too much. And maybe some of the stories are a little convoluted, because you know you got 50 people telling stories that happened 20 years ago
2: um it depends uh you know i, I talked to jerry lawler a lot and it's like he says i asked because he he had to leave town right after he had to leave schaumburg outside chicago right after he did the pod i'm sorry the uh, the Q and A with dutchman telling bill after about randy kaufman i said well how'd it go Cause he came by to say bye and junk and i said Well, how'd it go well, another interview about Andy Kaufman, and he laughed. It's just because he, literally every interview, every podcast, every newspaper article, every magazine interview, every newscast interview, he gets asked about it. You know, some things in his career were never talked about, but that one thing he is always asked about. And, you know, if, it, if you can do it and get different people's take on things, I think it's better. I think you will, you know, be too much going on in the marketplace I and mean, in the podcasts. And, you know, as happens, like Glenn was saying here, uh, you know, you only have so many hours in a day to listen to things. And I struggle to listen to a lot at all just because I'm, I am spend so much time writing and working on books. It's hard. I, I You know, I can't do both at the same time. And I, I think you're going to have an overabundance of product and... You know, some of the ones that are really, really, really good will keep going, and the others will drop off, I think, just because, you know, the, the fans only have so much time. And I, on one hand, it's good for historians' sake, because, hey, I can go pull up 10 interviews about this wrestling angle that happened in 1982. I can get 10 different guys talking about it. For my aspect, that's great. You know, I don't want to hear the same guy talk about it 10 times, though, if that makes sense.
1: Well, it, that makes perfect sense, and that's kind of one of the things I'm alluding to because um, I'm sure Glenn would agree with me. I would love to have Conrad on as a guest on this show just to kind of – because he is a wrestling fan. He fully admits he was he oh. was just a fan. He still says he's just Jeez. a fan, but he's created, he's created a podcast network, per se. He was a promoter for StarCast, so in a way, he is a wrestling personality now. He was a fan, but he's become part of the business. You know, oh, and I think great. he's an in
2: integral part of the business. Oh, huge. And I uh I mean I was one of the guys that used to go to his house when he had the wrestlers in for the weekend and do the Q and A at his house. I was there. Uh before any of the podcast stuff started. Uh I can remember sitting six feet from Bruce Prichard in his house in Huntsville and he's Q and Aing with Bruce. I said, Man, this is really good stuff. You know, and from that three or four years ago to now it's just just amazing. Uh, but he's such a great guy. He is a huge fan of wrestling. Uh, and he's one of those driven guys. He just he's always working doing something. I mean he has a mortgage business. He is just very well known in Huntsville because of his you know, his financial business he has. And this is you know, the wrestling has his quote unquote hobby and he's you know, winning Podcaster of the Year award for all formats, not just wrestling, everything. So you know he's just an amazing guy and he he's great if you can get him on your show i highly recommend it he was uh, he came up in the late 80s early 90s growing up as a kid and he loved 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 wrestling so he's a great guest
1: all right, Glenn, we got to work on that. Let, let, let's work on that, Conrad Thompson.
0: All right, I'm gonna have to may have to put you on assignment there, uh, Mr. McCurdy, because I think that would be a great, great catch. Because I I remember when, when Conrad was starting to do his thing in the podcast world with with Ric Flair uh, on Flair's yep. programs, and the way I, I what I enjoy about Conrad is there, it, it's conversation as well as getting this historical stuff. So Conrad's not afraid to just kind of. Call bs sometimes and kind of try to uh, you know rile up uh, his co-host, uh, whoever it may be, but he's also doing it from the, that, that wrestling fan who has such a platform the what, what he has that he's able to do that and kind of ask questions and react like some of us may react to uh, some of these guys, whether it be uh, Tony Bruce or, or Eric. Now, Mark, I'm going to ask uh,
1: something else here. We met a few years back God, I don't even know how many years back that was a CAC. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I came nine, up to you, nine, you know, oh, I think it was, I think it was oh 09. Oh, 09. Wow. That long. Jeez, we're going on 10 years. Um, I came up to you, you know, I had heard your name before. I'd seen some of the books. I think I bought a couple of your books from you there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but over that time, you know, you and I talk on Facebook and all that, you've kind of become like a mentor of mine, you and Scott Teal and guys mm-hmm. like this. I can go to you guys, ask you some questions. You know, what do you think of this idea? What do you think of this idea? Um, we mentioned Conrad. Conrad's a newer into the, the podcast game and all that. But do you see a new wave of the historians coming in that are talking to you? Because you cover Memphis. My thing is Texas. I love Texas. But, you know, we all watch wrestling. But someone's got to start covering what's happening now. And with these podcasts and with all the people doing the podcast and all that, do you see more of those people coming out that are going to document this? Because eventually, you know. Guys like you know you and Scott, we're gonna we're gonna stop. You know life life happens. Things are gonna change. We need that next generation of historians per se to come out. Do you see that happening with all the all the podcasts and the YouTube and the WWE network and all that?
2: Uh, I think it can. Uh, I, I don't know if it is per se yet. Um, just because. Well, the thing w- me Scott had going for us, you as well, is you had the territory system. With that leaving, it's just one big pot of stew, so to speak. You know, how many guys are going to go rewrite the same book on WWE or back then WWF? You know, the two thousands. You know, it. You you run the risk and the gambit of you know just regurgitating the same information, kind of like I talked about on the podcast. You know. Asking Lawler about the Andy Kaufman feud, you know, on fifty different podcasts. It's just, you know, you, you can burn it out, so to speak. Uh, I, I think the important thing is, and, and Scott Till also, you mentioned he's a mentor to me, is when I got in, he was the first guy I talked to about it, doing this crazy stuff. And um, he, he, he's really good at this. You've got to be able to tell the stories that no one else has told. That's the key. Don't tell the same story that everybody else has told. And that's what I try to do with my books is I don't want to regurgitate the same information they've already read before. And I think that's the key is going the extra mile, going the extra depth, going the extra month or two to get the better information, the more detail, the real behind the scenes stories uh, just so the fans aren't buying the same thing they bought before. Um, It's, it's very hard, As you, and you've, you've done the research on these things. You've done Texas stuff. You know it's just not there for the taking. You've got to go dig it up and find it, and that, you know, I'll be working on a book and something just, I can't get information. Well, I've got to put that book on the back burner and wait till the information comes out. I can't just release a book without certain information. You know, could I, yes, you know, my personal standard on it wouldn't allow me to because you've got to give the fans what they're expecting, in the books you've got to give them the extra data you've got to give them the behind the scenes you've got to give them the full story what happened here not what i think what happened here and um you know if if you can get some people who really go the extra mile who you know before before the uh online newspapers and whatnot that's almost how you kind of could figure out if people were really really into finding out the real information because uh, the joke we have is about the times we've spent in the libraries, vacation time, uh, going through microfilm collections, you know, of newspapers and this and that. We've all got those horror stories. Uh, you know, and that, that kind of like, how, how long you staying in the library? Oh, not much. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Just because, I mean, for one year of Memphis would take me eight hours of library time to go through the newspaper clippings. And then, you know, the editing of those and, that's that's weeks of work for one year, and it's like I've done like forty five years in Memphis. that's just the Memphis stuff. It doesn't count all the other territories we've done: BWA, uh, Mid Atlantic, Florida, Atlanta, the Tennessee territories, all these things. So it's just like you you've got to put the time in. People fly by night guys who try just want to put a book out, get it out quick. I'm not going to name any names at all, but if you read some books that are out, you'll see some things that just look like they're thrown together and thrown out just to make a quick buck. Unfortunately, that's you know the flip side to that is people aren't going to buy that guy's books anymore. Like I said, I've been very, very lucky. The fans have really, I mean, just supported what I've done. They've my books always sell pretty good. Uh, the, The fans are always happy with them. I hear tons of feedback. Uh, and you know, I'm all over the place. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. My books always have my email address in there. You, I, I'm very accessible, and I always hear you know great things from the fans. How happy they are with the books. So that to me, that's the best thing. They keep buying them, and they ask when's the next one coming out.
1: Do you think accessibility is a necessity? Do you think yes. that as you know, they need to be people like me? We need to be accessible because I know a lot of the older. You know, the guys in the past years and whatever, they're maybe not as accessible, but you feel that's a necessity to be able to continue on with the historical work.
2: A hundred percent. If I could, if I was not, I would not be doing it. Uh, you have to be accessible to the fans. Uh, these people buy your books, buy your books, buy your whatever you're selling podcasts, this or that, t shirts. I don't care if it's just t shirts. You've got to be accessible to them to hear how they. See. I think it's just not fair to take people's money and then put your hand up. Stay away, stay away. Uh, I don't believe in that. Uh, you know, like I said, I had bought many Scott Tille books before I started this, and I sent him an email and we talked and whatever, and got on the phone and talked, and he was just completely accessible. And uh, I think it's vital, it, and the way the marketplace is, you know, on a global, more global scale, um, people are much more. You know, if, if they get to know you, they get vested in you, and they believe in what you're doing, and they you know send you an email, and you talk to them, and they ask a question about what you're doing or how you came about it, and you answer it, they're more likely to follow you more and be more interested in what you put out, even if you know they're just niffens. Well, he put out a mid atlanta book. Let me ask him about that. What's that about? And I, and, you know, I go with him. I explain what it's like, and I might send them a screenshot of a page or two and say, Oh, okay, that's cool. That's a that. They might be more inclined to you know, buy other books I've done because of it. Just because I've realized they invest in me, I need to somewhat invest in them a little bit, give them some of my time.
1: I've noticed now since uh, Glenn and I started, we've, we've gotten more into the social media area. We have the group page on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram yep. coming up and on. I've noticed we've got a lot of people now that are, I've gotten a few Facebook messages that kind of come in and say, hey, listen to the show, blah, 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 You know, have you ever thought about having this person on or, you know, what about this question and stuff like that. So I've kind of seen that now. And like you said, yeah. you need to be accessible and all that. I, I totally agree. Scott was really like open to me. I met him obviously CAC once again, it's like yeah. a CAC commercial. Um, I met him in 2006. <laughs> as soon as I saw him, I'm like, Oh, you're the guy who used to do whatever happened to in the wrestling magazine. Cause that was his column in the old aftermath. So I talked with him. I think we talked for like a good hour while he was like selling books and Mm-hmm. now i think i own the entire scott teal library i think there might be two yeah. books i don't have i need to work on yours actually your your library is
2: the next one i need to i That's need to cool. go with i like the sound of but, that yeah. <laughs> you know and bill after scott, yeah bill's great bill is such a nice successful okay. i mean you meet him once and it's like you've been a friend for life with bill he's just exactly. a really, really great guy he was great seeing him at uh, I got to talk to him for about two minutes at All In and uh, at StarCast, and it was great seeing him again, because I hadn't seen him in probably two or three years. Probably the last uh, Charlotte FanFest in 16 I saw him, and that was probably the last time I've seen him. So it's always, uh, and I tell him every time I see him, I say, man, dude, you were my cable. Your magazines were it for me in the 70s. As a kid with no cable, and cable didn't exist. The only one I knew about all of it was Bill Laptor's magazines.
1: Exactly. I was a student in high school. I was taking journalism classes, you know, And I found a wrestling magazine at the local newsstand one day. I started reading, and I realized I can write about wrestling. And then I flipped through it, and I'm going, well, who are these people? Because I'm in California, so I was way out of Memphis and all that. And I wonder, well, who are these people? So the aftermath kind of opened up the door to, you know, where I'm at now. And like you said, Bill, another accessible guy. Met him at Parade of Champions uh, when we did that show back here in 2016. Yeah. Right, before WrestleMania weekend. And then two weeks later, I saw him again at CAC. He walks up to me. Oh, there's a face I recognize. How are you doing? Hug and handshake, and
2: I'd met the man like yeah. two weeks ago for like five minutes. Yeah, that's a good. That's yeah. how good a guy he is. I mean, he's really, really great guy. Great He's another one that needs all all to,
1: you know, work more, write more books, and get more information out there because, you know, you know he's oh, yeah. a wealth of knowledge, and his one book just isn't enough. He needs to bring out more.
2: He does. He absolutely does. Uh, he'd yeah. have to slow down to do that. You know him. He's ninety miles an hour.
1: Oh, yeah, no, you you can't keep up. But we got him to do the Rock Riddle induction into our Southern Wrestling Hall of Fame. And yeah. it took me like 10 minutes on the phone to, to corner him down. And, okay, we need you down here now at this time. Okay, well, I'm going to get changed. I'll be right down there. And he came in, did his thing, and gone again. Because he was going yeah. out on the, to a show in Vegas with a friend. But he was in, out, it was like Superman or Lone Ranger it was gone. <laughs> yeah, great guy. But speaking of books and all, before we wrap up this interview, Mark, sure. what, you know, your Lawler Record book just came out. What's What else is on the uh, the back burner? What's coming out next for, uh, you know, the, the Mark uh, James Library?
2: It looks like I'm going to do a couple more of the Memphis uh, yearbooks I do. I did 77, 78, and 82 so far. Probably going to add to that collection another couple. I've come across a huge, huge collection of programs, so luckily I've got access to it and you can scan them. Uh, on those, Memphis... Had wrestling every Monday night at the Coliseum. Those books, they have all the 52 weekly programs in them, and then I just do uh, break it down month by month and do what was going on. I do the in front of the camera, behind the camera, real angles, what was going on with it, and everything. And uh, it's really a full yearbook for Memphis, and I'm probably looking at three or four other ones of those now with this collection I've been able to use. Uh, Cornette, we're always working on things I mentioned earlier. SMW, probably be. Uh, a couple books there, uh, his time doing SMW, uh, some other things. Doing another Louisville book with him, my buddy George Shire. We're going to finish our AWA collection. Yes, uh, we've done the the '60s. We did first half of the '70s, second half. We've got to do the two parts of the '80s. The second part of the '80s, the back end, will also include the 90 stuff till it ended, and that will be the entire 1960 through 1991 AWA territory uh, record books uh i've got a couple of things working on in very early stages so i'm not real sure how they will end up and, and you understand this it's like the book i start with usually isn't the book i end up with it changes along the way sometimes except the record books and the uh the year books but y- you never know how they turn out so they're a little too early to talk about but right now that's what's on
1: my plate i understand i mean i'm working on like i think i'm working on three different projects separate from what i started on you know five or six years ago <laughs> when uh you and i first started talking so yeah, but I'm gonna pass it over to uh, Glenn now. If Casey's got another question or so, and we'll wrap up this interview in this edition of Passionate uh, Memories.
0: All right, I'm just gonna put this out there, guys. Uh, you guys are, you know, you're you're into the writing and the journalism and the like. There's no truth to the rumor that either one of you sent a resume to the Western Mags uh, wanting to work with Matt Brock, or you guys sent either one of you. I heard you might have sent a Valentine to Liz Hunter. What's up with that, guys?
1: I'm a little too young for that aspect, so maybe that might have been Mark. Mark, was that you? No, not me, not
2: me. I uh, <laughs> loved reading them, though. Uh, they were, like I said, they uh, always enjoyed the the section up front, what's happening, and inside wrestling and all that. They they would tell who was wrestling where, and that's what I cared about. Because we, I mean, back in those days before the internet, man, it was just dead. You knew nothing else except for what was happening in your territory, in your city. You knew nothing about champions. You knew nothing about who was world champs, and anything. After magazines were what opened it up for me, and that's how I learned about everywhere.
0: Yeah, that's the same right here applies to it. I mean, I I just said it merely as, to, as a joke, but I mean, I read those things from cover to cover. And just recently, in the past year, my uh, little brother, who I, uh, well, I felt like I was the vampire giving him the wrestling uh, bug because he likes it just as much as I do. Well, he is uh, complete, almost close to completing uh, 1979 to about 1991, all of the old after-magazines. Uh, he's, you know, he's gotten them all month by month, and he's uh, been passing some uh, copies on to me that he gets in these bundles, and I have plenty now to read. It's kind of fun to go back and, and, and look at this stuff. Especially, uh, yeah, from, a, especially from the point especially when you I first started. A, sorry, I've
2: got a friend who actually has Oh, gee, I think from like 1970 to like 1990, he has like every magazine that came out, uh wrestling magazine. And it's just this huge, it's like 600 magazines.
0: A, and man. actually
2: several, about five or six years ago, I put out a, uh, just for the heck of it, it's like, for the, the, you know, how much those mag- magazines meant to me as a kid. I said, like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to co- collate the collection and I'm going to take all the ratings and I'm going to do a ratings book. And that's what I did. I took his books from like 70, maybe through 1984, 85, 86, and then just did a monthly ratings for the AWA, NWA, WWF, uh, tag teams, and most popular and most hated. And I just did a ratings book on all those.
0: Oh, wow. (laughs) That's insane. We had
2: four to six magazines for every month Uh for the entire 20-year frame. frame. So it's like, yeah. So, yeah, that was a book.
0: You have a website. Let's uh, get that quick plug in before we uh, call it good for this week.
2: Sure, it's uh, markjamesbooks.com, and the Lawler book uh, is at lawlerbook.com.
0: All right, thank you so much. Yes, the timekeeper's giving me the eye. It's time to wrap up wrestling Memories then and now. For Mark James and the grizzled veteran Michael McCurdy, I'm Glenn Broggett. So long for now.